0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to On the Homefront. John Murphy here. Very happy to share a little bit of time with you. You might be catching our show live here on WILI AM 1400. 95.3 95.3 on the FM. We're also videotaping our shows for the radio station's YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube, go to WILI Radio and all the afternoon shows have playlists. You can catch our shows so you can reach our guests in many ways although we hope you're enjoying us live right now. We have another busy show today. We're going to talk with local author Michael Westerfield. He's just published a new book called Israel Putnam America's First Folk Hero. A really interesting story about the past that also connects to uh, you know, our our current times in a very interesting way. So we'll talk to Michael later in the program. Then we're going to have an update with Deb Gag from the Ashford Area Arts Council. And first, I'm going to start the show out. I'm very happy to share the studio with with uh, Victoria Nimorowski. She's a director at WAIM, the Wyndham Area Interfaith Ministry. I've had you on for many years, Victoria, and it's nice to have you back now.
1: Nice to be back. John, thank you.
0: And it's a special time now because after almost 19 years of service, Victoria is going to be retiring at the end of the month in November. So congratulations on the retirement and all those good years of service for us.
1: Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. It's bittersweet. I'm sad yes. to leave Wayne, but I'm excited for the new chapter.
0: Yeah, Anybody who touches the heart of wind and you get that bittersweet beauty. Oh, it's beautiful. And, yeah. you know, it's the, it's the whole community in recovery. And that's where Wayne is working with, is how the spirit moves recovery to families in need. Uh, So maybe a starting point is a special event comes up. They have a special event in the winter. It's called the Walk for Warmth. That might be a good thing because it's this weekend.
1: Sure, yes. This is our 31st walk for warmth it's on saturday oh no, i'm sorry i have a cold excuse me i'm a little fuzzy uh-huh. um sunday november 19th right um registration starts at twelve thirty until one thirty. then we have an interfaith thanksgiving service that's usually a beautiful service that a number of different faith communities participate in and then that, that kicks off the walk for warmth which is an easy two-mile walk around Willimantic. <laughs> And um, all the money that we raise, and that's that what we're doing it for is to raise money. That's right. It's for our energy assistance and our housing assistance funds. Those are the two areas where we see the greatest need, and those are the two areas that it's most expensive to help people in. Right, right. Yeah.
0: So that might be a good point to reflect on because Victoria is, you know, almost 19 years of service. And in this town, that's a lot of activity and a lot of change. Can you talk about some of the larger changes you've noticed and then what's still the same Mm -hmm.
1: well i I think overall basic needs are basic needs so that really hasn't changed but what's really has changed is the cost of providing service um and the number of people who are in need Mm -hmm. Uh, housing is just one of the issues that we are have really been struggling with especially since covid um, during COVID, there was a lot of money out there. A lot of people had um, were able to access assistance. Um, since then, though, those funds have dried up, they have. and a lot of rents have gone up. And people, especially people on fixed incomes, just are not able to make ends meet. I've had clients whose rents have gone up $400 a month for one person on yeah. a fixed income, yeah. seniors, yeah. like, th- who have had to give up their cars and are now homebound because they can't afford to pay the rents. Um, and the unfortunate piece of this is is that there used to be more programs out there that could help people with rental assistance. Those programs have dried up as well, and the funding for those programs has dried up. So right now, the only way in Willimantic, because we've all run out of funds today, is you have to be involved in the eviction process in order to get assistance through UNITE-CT, which is the state-run program.
0: Right so you have to be at the very end of a legal process.
1: You have to be in, I don't know if it at which point, right. but you have had to be served eviction papers yeah. at least.
0: So this is a very broad question, but what disappeared, this used to be called the safety net. Because <laughs> at one level there was funding for it and it kind of and it's not just covid money because everybody got lots of covid money. Education got covid and that's all being pulled back. Right. But this goes before covid, right?
1: Right, but I think that the number, even if we go back to the pre-COVID levels, the number of people needing help is higher. So there's not enough to spread around to everybody who actually needs the assistance. Now, why are more people needing help? That's a bigger question than I can answer, quite honestly. Are are the jobs out there? Are good-paying jobs out there? Uh, do people have the type of education that they need to succeed in the system and become more sustainable? So there, there are a lot of, a lot of answers to that question, but there, there is a tremendous need, and um, I think it's going to re- remain here. One thing that we were doing, I mentioned this to you before, John, yeah. was the, um, I think it was either during COVID or just after COVID. They started uh, distributing the child tax credit yes. to parents um, on a monthly basis, and I believe it was around $200 per child. And this is a, was a federal program, if I'm not mistaken. That was fantastic. Our numbers went down significantly during that period. People were able to pay their rent. People were able to pay their bills much better than they are now. Right. And then it just stopped. And. That's losing a lot of income for someone who's already struggling to make ends meet in a very, very um, challenging economy. Yeah.
0: You know, you were talking about housing before, and the situation for renters is getting very dire. Uh, Something we've covered on the program, some of you may have seen, that there are tenant unions forming. There's one in Putnam. There's one here in Willamannock, There's about 10, I think, now across the state. And they're trying to say it's more than one landlord. And, you know, what does the landlord do when the tenants can't pay rent, but the landlord has to pay to maintain the building? Right. So it's like lose-lose, right? Mm-hmm. So you get to hear it when it breaks down. Right, right. <laughs> we do. So when someone knocks on the door today in November 2023, what are the kinds of help that you can provide? And I want to talk about how that ties into interfaith work and the, and like many faiths working together as well.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, One of our staples, our core program, is material goods. That's what Wayne started with. So we get a lot of donations of gently used clothing and furniture, um, appliances, household items. Um, And we have a very large building on Main Street here in Willimantic. 866. (laughs) That's right. Main Street. Exactly, where we uh, store all those things and display them, and people can come and shop three days a week. It's Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday from 9 a.m. till noon, and then the first Saturday of the month. And everything that we have to offer is for free. So people give us our donations, and then we distribute them into the community for free. That's the number one. Um, We also do have emergency assistance programs. Uh, Energy assistance is a big one, and we are still providing energy assistance, although in that area, we are the safety net for the safety net. So we do encourage anyone who needs energy assistance to go to access first because they are the agency that is the recipient of any government funding.
0: Like Operation Fuel? Or- well, we can
1: do Operation Fuel, and I believe you can even do Operation Fuel. I'm not going to say this, but yes, we can help with Operation Fuel, but even before Operation Fuel, Access gets the, it it, um, administers the Connecticut Energy Assistance Program. So I would say that that's the first stop. And if you don't qualify for that, then you can come to Wayne and we'll be able to help you, either through Operation Fuel or through funds that we raise, through events like the Walk for Warmth or from donors. Yeah. So there's those things, and uh, we also have a mentoring program, an adult mentoring program, that we started about 10 years ago. And the reason why we got involved in adult mentoring, because it became obvious to us that a lot of people need more than just the one touch, and there's no... There's no real resources for a long-term case management to help people kind navigate. Of Absolutely, yeah. and to really have someone to depend upon to ask questions of, and to share who can share their wisdom and their life experience with you to help you build your life. So we have a a. a an adult mentoring program called Partners in Independence. We have about 10 matches going on at any time, right? And uh, Merle Paczynski, who I believe you know, mm-hmm. is the director of that program. And it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful program. It's, it's long and hard, but the benefits are tremendous. Um, and what else do we do? Lots of holiday programs. Uh, you sure. can look on our website it's if you're interested. Right now, it's really sure. busy right now.
0: In fact, that's a good question I was going to ask you, but you brought up the website. Like a lot of people are using their websites to really reinforce all their activity. Can you talk about what's there and maybe mention what the website is so people can stay sure. in touch your lawn? Sure,
1: sure. Please vid- visit us often. It's www.wame.com. That's W-A-I-M-C-T dot org. And you can also Google Linda Mary Interfaith Ministry and it'll right. show you where our website is. Right. So right now, if you go on our website, it's going to tell you all about our programs, the ones I just mentioned, who we help. It's going to tell you about the events that we do. We do the steeplechase in... The uh, late summer with perception programs and the no freeze. And we do the walk for warmth now. And then sometimes there are other events that come up occasionally. Um, you can also register for the walk for warmth on our website. And by registering online, you can also do your fundraising for the event online as well. It's a great little system they have. You register through Run Reg, and then they automatically set up a fundraising page for you on Pledge Reg. So it makes it easy to raise money. Nice. Yeah.
0: By the way, I want to mention, in case you're joining us on the radio here and Not TV, we're speaking today with Victoria Nomorowski. She's the director at the Wyndham Area Interfaith Ministry. And I want to mention, too, the interfaith part, because a lot of people think, well, each particular faith has its own focus, its own energy, and they don't often overlap. But in this area, you found that's a source of great strength.
1: Absolutely. Can you talk
0: about how that works and how that's an example of how all the issues of politics or religion, really, if you're doing it the right way, a lot of the politics
1: disappears. There's, you know, we live in a very special community here, and I think that the way that our faith communities work together is one really great indicator of that. Wayne started because a handful of faith communities got together because they saw it. This was in the 80s. I think we, we started legally in 1984, so they were thinking about all of this mm-hmm. beforehand. And they were seeing that a lot of useful items were just getting thrown into the landfills. And, you know, we weren't as aware of environmental waste then as we are now. But these these folks were. So um, that's one of the first things that they did was start collecting material goods and then giving them to families who needed them so that those families could save their money and spend it on other necessities. Right? Right. That's what we still do. So – Over time, we grew to about 40 faith communities that supported us, and in the heyday, which was right around the time I came in, they were a very significant part of our budget. We've grown significantly over those last 18 or 19 years, but unfortunately, a lot of the faith communities have shrunk.
0: You mentioned it like... There are less people there are, attending. Yes, yes,
1: there are less people, and there are aging people. A lot of the faith communities have uh, aging congregations. So even though they may not support us as much financially, they still do support us financially. And, you know, sometimes it might be a, 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 a church might give us, I don't know, a small church, $400 a year, and then a larger uh, church will give us a few thousand dollars a year but they always participate in our events they are the ones who adopt the families they are the ones who buy the gifts for teens in the back to school program where we give uniforms to kids um, before the school year starts and they're also we also have the way wave is structured our governance is there's wave and then we have our board of directors but our board of directors the body that oversees that is our Board of Delegates. And that includes two members from every faith community that participates with WAME. So the beauty of this relationship is that we meet three times a year. They hear from us what we think is going on in the community and where we see the need. And then they bring that back to their congregations. So it really does spread the word out. It is a circuit. And then if there are people in their communities that need something, they come to us, but they also know that this is a vehicle for them to be able to help the communities that we live in. So it's really a beautiful model, and there's nothing like it, certainly not anywhere east of the river, and um, anywhere that I know of, that's exactly like Wayne.
0: Well, this is a great story to share, and I've had Victoria on several times over the years. Maybe one last question, Victoria, while we have you, is the idea of unfinished business. With all the things that have been accomplished, and there's a huge list of that, you always have important things that you still wish could be resolved. So what's your wish list for your successors and the people ahead?
1: Well, it's something we just started working on a few months ago. but. We have right now one angel donor who is very interested in helping us build some affordable housing. So, um, and we're not talking a huge development. Right now we're looking at a three or four family project. What we want to do is make a totally green house for these folks. We want to make sure that it's green. A, because we love the environment and we want to stay healthy, and B, because it's a lot more economically efficient if you're living in somewhere that's energy efficient. Um, And part of the program that we want for this housing is that when folks pay their rent on time and are good tenants, they will accumulate. It's kind of like a renter's rebate, but Mm -hmm. it's more like just, you know, so you pay your rent, Every month, we'll give you $100 a month in a set aside for that rent or whatever. So that by the time they leave, they'll have, if after three years, they may have $5,000 yeah. to take with them. Right. And if they leave after six years, it might be $10,000. So a it's credit. a really, it's, it's a credit and it's an incentive um, because. We punish people all the time, but we don't provide enough incentives for them to, to, to live the way we expect folks to live in this society. Yeah. So I'm very excited about it, and I'm sure that um, it's going to happen. I know that it's going to happen. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks a lot for being here, Victoria. Thank, you John. Thank, Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll continue our conversation with Wayne in the months ahead. As I make a transition, we'll continue the story because the good work will go on. I and mean, we thank you very much again. Should I just bow so, out? No, it's okay. We'll sit tight here. <laughs> we'll take a break for a couple of short messages. We're going to come up with the Ashford Area Arts Council and then local author, Michael Westerfield. You stay with us.
1: Thank you, John. I got a little tongue-tied there, but no, you did my fine. brain is
0: such a good story. No, oh, you know good. there were a few more questions, but we—I think we covered plenty. Good. And then I'll just be in touch, maybe at the end of winter when you have a transition. We'll figure out how can we do something as a launch. All right?
1: Fabulous. The new director will be starting on December twelfth, I believe. New, December twelfth. Yep. So um, I'll make sure. Yeah. That. I
0: did the phone. Back. Let me just grab one here. Uh, please give the, uh, the new director. She reaches out to you. Here you go.
1: And I can't tell you who she is, but I, everybody knows her and it's going to be really exciting. Sure. I'm very excited by uh, the person that they've chosen to take my place. So,
0: so was she nice. already involved in one of the committees?
1: She's involved in a lot. Of All right, what's her name? Stuff. I can't tell you. Oh. <laughs> the mics
0: are off, though, Victoria. The mics are off. It's okay. Susan
1: Amy Hunter. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sorry. Very nice. Yeah, okay. we're very excited. Uh, we'll look forward to following up on okay, okay, very good. Okay. Nice to see you. Nice to see Thank you. you, Happy Thanksgiving to Thank you. Thank you.
0: Same to you. My name's Deb. Thank you, Michael. Okay. There you go. Have a seat right here. Get comfortable. Okay. The seat is all warmed up. Mm-hmm. 45 seconds. 25 you seconds. For you. Okay. Maybe one more commercial. we'll pick it up. Deb, you were talking before about a transition to a new president. Uh, are, are you maintaining for the next year? I'm not sure if, in how I should.
2: There's pull. a um, there's a uh, committee, a search committee, looking for a replacement, but we're still carrying on okay, as so a committee. Still pre- we're still carrying on as okay. a committee.
0: All right. Yeah. Uh, so we'll talk about the website. Astra we don't arts. need to or talk
2: or? about the transition to a different leadership at no. all. Yeah. yeah
0: that's fine yeah. Just, no i just wanted to say you know in terms of introducing you're still the president that's all i just want to make sure i that. Well, no
2: i you can say that i'm chair of this event that's okay coming up the holiday artist market okay yeah because that's right. that's true
0: okay Uh, At this time of the year, is there an extra need for people who are thinking about volunteers? Do you have a need? Is it like seasonal? Is it springtime you change over? Some people use the new calendar to bring in new members
2: um really
0: um mike's in a good spot for dead uh, bring her a little closer we can closer.
3: we
2: can talk about new members but mostly okay. i want to talk about this event yeah we'll what else we're, what else we're doing yeah. which is we're we have an indoor farmers market that yes. we're involved in we've got congratulations. a congratulations membership show at the vanilla bean okay. in april and then we have the summer's palette event in june okay. 15 seconds so okay. that's mostly what i would like to do here if okay. possible
0: yeah And then we have that track in between. We'll play that too. I got it queued up. Okay, good. Okay. Three, two, one. Okay, we're back on the home front. Very happy to have you with us here on WILI. Uh, for our next segment, we're going to focus on the Ashford Area Arts Council. I'm very happy to have Deb, uh, Deb Gag back in the studio. We've had her here many times over the last couple of years. Deb's very involved in a special event happening this weekend, so let's lead off with that. And then she has a lot more news to share. But welcome back to the studio.
2: Thank you, John. It's it's just always so nice to be here with you. you You're bet. such a supporter of the arts and, and the community at large. And we just, I want you to know how much we appreciate you.
0: Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> So this weekend is a special one for you. It really is. Please go right ahead.
2: Okay. Um, So this weekend is our seventh annual uh, Holiday Artist Market. This is our postcard. And it's going to be a great day of art and music. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll talk about where it's going to be so yeah. this event is going to be held at knowlton memorial hall in the babcock library uh, in ashford which is on route 44 uh, and uh, for people to come and you could easily just put in gps the babcock library right um but the address is 20 25 pompeii hollow road um, in ashford uh, the event goes both saturday and sunday from 10 to 4 And we have live music both days, and 21 artists in the room. So I think I'd like to start out talking about the music.
0: Sure, by all means.
2: Okay, should I go for it?
0: I would say, when in doubt, go
2: for it, (laughs) Okay, great. So we're going to start out the day with Mike South. Uh, Mike South is uh, very well known in these parts. He is a guitar maker, also known as a luthier. And he's a master guitarist, so he's going to start out the day playing acoustic music and singing along with some of those um, acoustic songs that he plays. Um, and he'll play for about an hour from 10.30 to 11.30. And following his performance, we will have folk musicians um, Jim and Vicky McGiver who play really interesting instruments, uh, for example, the hammered dulcimer.
0: That's a lovely sound.
2: Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. They will have CDs for sale there, and they are going to perform for two hours. Um, following them, uh, Don Jacobowski, who's been a wonderful folk musician in this area for decades. And he the songs that he sings all day, people really respond to and sing along. And all this will be going on in the background. Uh, and then on the floor, we have an incredible array of artisans um, that whenever you're ready, I can say who they are and what oh, they you've do. Got a
0: very active membership. Go right ahead. Yes. Lots of different forms of art. Lots of
2: that's art. right. There's so much variety. So, so this show is you're going to see work in this show that you would see in a gallery store or a museum store. Um, so it's not your usual kind of church bazaar. Not not that there's anything wrong with it, but these this is kind of a curated show. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, the work is very affordable. Uh, so this is alphabetical. I'm going to start out with Christina Acebo, who is an award-winning photographer. And her photographs are really unique because she uses gold leaf. Oh, mm-hmm. She uses different techniques, but her latest one is she uses gold leaf behind the photographs. For example, if you have a woodland scene with, a woodland scene with sunlight filtering through mm-hmm. uh, in your home, when the light comes in from the outside, you suddenly get these golden sun rays that Like a flare kind of
0: thing.
2: Yeah, Mm. it it just adds an incredible mood. And her her, uh, photography in general evokes a mood, tells a story. It's not just a pretty picture. She's not a photographer that takes, you know, pictures of farms in Vermont or things like that. They're very moody, atmospheric, and uh, she's won awards for many of them. Uh, Lance Arnold who's a well-known glass artist um, who has an incredible studio in Ashford that everybody should go and see it's really fun to go there uh, and he makes uh, window, window hangings and um, utilitarian objects and he also has uh, diversified into making fairy houses so it's a lot of fun for families to come by his booth. John Boiano uh, creates pottery and uh, people are attracted to his booth because the pottery, the glazes are so colorful. And he makes lots of useful things, uh, cups and bowls and vases. Allison Ciarlante, uh, for the first time she's with us, she does these decorative dot paintings. Uh, she's inspired by mandalas uh, and she paints rocks and she'll, she'll do a painting maybe of a heron and a, and a scene, but it's all with dots. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, Mark Drobny will be there. Uh, people who go to the Coventry f- Farmer's Market see him. He does laser cut objects, uh, window hangings, and and many other decorative things. His wife, Dot Drobny, is a photographer who does um, beautiful work. Um, and uh, after her on my alphabetical list is Anna Harding, another stained glass artist who makes um, boxes and terrariums, so her work is quite different from Lance Arnold's glass work. Joan Blade Johnson is a fiber artist who, uh, she takes um, and does botanical printing on silk, so she'll take different kinds of leaves and uh, print them on silk scarves and they um there you have this beautiful i think you brought her on
0: the show once before i
2: i I think so yeah she's she's she goes to so many shows she's very well known and she also will take her own photographs have them printed on fabric and then do fancy you know interesting stitchery around it her husband bob johnson for the first time is going to be in the show he does chair caning where he takes uh chairs that need to be refurbished and he will uh re-cane the chairs, he'll be doing that. And he has baskets. Um, Maggie Candace, I think I've had on the show with me here before. Um, yeah, she's she's over here in town in the um, um, Swift Waters Gallery as well. She's a printmaker, and she hand colors her prints. And Maggie's artwork is always infused with joy, um, and her work is very afo- affordable. Fritha Lawrence uh, is a painter and author. She does entangles Kathy Leepak, a calligrapher who does book binding. Um, Marilyn McCooch will be in the foyer. She's gonna be our greeter. She's so friendly to everybody. Uh, she creates jewelry, very, very affordable. Uh, Charles McCautry, an internationally recognized, award-winning watercolorist, will be there. Uh, Mike Metzak always has a busy booth. Uh, he creates goat milk products, uh, soaps and lotions. Uh, Dan Merlot is a master wood turner. And he infuses some of his bowls and other objects with colored resins, which puts yeah, it as... Th- he's been
0: on the show. He brought out some samples. It's really he, bright. Yeah, he's a,
2: he's a very, very nice man. Does beautiful work. He has a booth. And then his brother, Lord Merlot, with his partner Gretchen Jeroman, um, they have a booth of wood items, but they're wood-burned items. So Gretchen does decorative elements on, on uh, cutting boards and spoons and other things like that. Sue Muldoon uh, does basketry. Uh, She's pretty well known in these parts. Her claim to fame is she weaves backpacks, but she also has baskets um, as well. Uh, Dan Radcliffe is a potter. And uh, what's interesting about his pottery is he does a lot of the same glazes. So people tend to come to the show year after year. They'll buy a piece, which will add to what they already have because it's going to match. Oh, nice. Just a few more. His wife, uh, Jane Ratcliffe, creates fused glass art. Uh, She has a real instinct for color, and her work is absolutely gorgeous. Bowls, um, uh, sculptures, uh, wall hangings, jewelry. Uh, Lori Smolin is a watercolorist who travels all over the world, and her paintings reflect the different places she's been to. And two more. Susie Staubach, very (laughs) famous uh, potter. She makes very sturdy stoneware pottery in a big, giant gas kiln now in Ashford.
0: Artist Open Studio. Susie, there we are, right there. Yep. That's
2: it. I'm on that tour too. Oh,
0: yeah.
2: (laughs) And then uh, lastly, Kathy Weigold uh, is a fantastic weaver, and she Uh will weave um, things from uh, kitchen towels to to rugs to ponchos. And uh, so that's our show.
0: Okay, it's the weekend, the 18th and the 19th, yes. from 10 a.m. to 4. Yes. AshfordArts.org is the website to follow up on all these things Thank you, for John. this weekend. Now, there's a couple more things you want to mention. We have a couple minutes to go.
2: A couple more minutes, so, yeah. So, please,
0: you have two more things you're planning ahead.
2: Okay, in that same room, a Knowlton Memorial Hall in the Babcock Library, this year for the first time there's going to be an indoor farmer's market, the first and third Sunday wow. of every month. That's nice. And we will have a couple of artists uh, each month showing Um, And then April at the uh, Vanilla Bean is our um, Ashford Area Arts Council members exhibit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then in June, we're going to repeat the very popular Summer's Palette at Westford Hills Distillers.
0: We talked about that this year. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. So...
0: So it's it, it, it's so nice to have farmers markets in the wintertime. I agree because people look for produce. They know like a lot of it comes from far away, and it's pretty burned out by the time it gets here. Yeah. Do you know about the farmers and you know how they're going to do this year? Is it mostly going to be things that they're growing inside now? Is it more of that?
2: You know, um, I'm more involved in promoting the arts. So yeah. the person that runs the uh, farmers market is Jack Jacqueline Kulig. Um So there'll be people who uh, harvest maple syrup honey. They make their jellies and their jams. Nice. There'll probably be a lot of root crops, you know, beets and potatoes wow. and carrots, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some hydroponics. I know there's going to be a, um, a food truck. Um, I'm trying to remember. There are people who raise beef on their farm, so they're right. they're offering their products. Uh, there's also somebody with who creates cheeses that will be there. Um, so just a big variety of things.
0: That's really great. Yeah. And, and it keeps our money local.
2: Exactly. It keeps
0: it all local. All right. Well, it's always great to have Deb Gag on the show. <laughs> we'll look forward to having you back maybe later in the winter when we get into springtime and sure. planning ahead. Yeah. I wish you a good Thanksgiving and a holiday ahead.
2: Thank you so much, and thank you for promoting the arts and always being a great supporter. Okay, my Appreciate question. it.
0: Happy to do it. Good stories to share. So we're going to have a very short musical break and then go into the Wayback Machine with Mike Westerfield and bring some history back to life. So you stay with us right here. Okay, we're back on. How about that timeless melody, right? Santo and Johnny with Sleepwalk. That one brings you right back. However cold it is, that's a nice warm breeze. Well, right now in the studio, I'm very happy to share some time here with Mike Westerfield. He is a resident of our town for many years, among other things, a historian and researcher. And he's just published his third book, which I'm holding right here. It's about Israel Putnam, America's First Folk Hero. And we're going to have Michael talk about the story of the book. And sometime in the winter or spring, he's going to give a talk about this. So, Michael, thanks for all the work you do. I've been encouraged in recent years. More people seem to be curious about connecting to the past in different ways, whether it's food or transportation, just trying to connect the dots. And you do this a lot in in, in the kind of research you do. So maybe a starting point is your work in history and how this one-person story just captivated you where it became an entire book.
3: Right. I did a book previously on the poorhouse system in Connecticut, and uh, particularly with the town farm in Willimantic, which was an amazing institution for many years. And uh, I was thinking, as we're approaching the 250th anniversary of the United States, that doing something on the uh, uh, characters in Connecticut history, the lesser-known characters in Connecticut history, at least nowadays. And I was going to put together a book on several people. Thomas Knowlton from Asherid, who was uh, Nathan Hale's boss. And, uh, there you go. Yep, And his, the Boy Scout camp out there is his farm. And various other people like that. And I thought first I would start with Israel Putnam, because he was from Brooklyn. And he has a monumental statue out there. And... Um, that uh, So I started looking into him, and he was such a fascinating character. He was a man who, like Forrest Gump, if anything was happening, he was there, mm-hmm. and usually leading it. And uh, during his time, at the time, going into Bunker Hill, the Battle of Bunker Hill, he was probably the most famous American in the world. And now he's totally, almost totally forgotten. Wow. He uh, you know went into the French and Indian War as a private... Um, and uh, came out as a colonel and wound up at the time when the American Army was finally formed, just before Bunker Hill, he was one of the first major generals. He was the only major general besides Washington who was unanimously appointed by Congress. He was that well-known, and um, he was... At the time of the Revolution, there was this big idea about Roman Republican ideas, Mm -hmm. and he was seen as the new Cincinnatus. He was the common man who left his farm and went off to war Mm -hmm. and saved the country and then
2: put everything down and
3: returned to to his plow again. And then when Lexington and Concord happened, he left his plow standing in the field and rode off to Concord and, and led the... The FOS is
0: there. Kind of like Sergeant York having his convergence. (laughs) Exactly, yes. Uh, I guess there's a point for the gun after all. Uh, Now, you call him a folk hero, and you you think about certain figures. In his day, what was it that got the message out when we're media overloaded today? Back then, it was opposite polarity. What was it that made him a folk hero that got to be such a scale at that time? Well, during, going through the French-Indian and Indian War, he had a
3: series of adventures that made anybody else's adventures they've had since then just a pale copy of his. He was at one time captured and tied to a tree and being burnt at the stake by, by Indians. He, he rode a, a boat down the river like uh, in the African Queen running the rapids. Oh, he, really? He was a, a ranger. You know, he worked with Rogers Rangers, and uh, he was the first person to the uh, Fort William Henry, which is the scene of, uh, that's where The Last of the Mohicans started. He was the first person to arrive there after the massacre, and, you know, he was involved in everything that went on.
0: And And this was real
3: stuff. This is real stuff. So it was like one-of-a-kind kind kind of Exactly, yeah. And uh, at that time, there was a a popular press. There were a number of uh, images of him circulating, engravings of him circulating the major right. general from, you know, the, right. the war. and, uh, But we didn't have the penny press yet. That was still kind of a new thing. Right, about, yeah. Like, they had mm-hmm. a newspaper. But yeah, there were newspapers and there were, uh, he was covered in the press and all his activities were there. And uh, he is, um, he, right from the very beginning, his family was involved in so many of the things that happened in America. His father and his uncle, his uncle... Thomas um, Putnam and his daughter Anne were two of the accusers in the Salem witchcraft trials. His accusers? Fi- accusers. His family lived in Salem, and his father Joseph was an opponent of the trials. So much so that he, during one of the trials was going on, he kept a his horse saddled in the stable and his gun loaded. Just and, in case. Just in case, right.
0: <laughs> that could be an interesting Thanksgiving dinner. Huh? Yes, right. Wow. Well, you know, that happens today, too, when you get our own... National polarities, strong feelings, mm-hmm. people dividing around the table. Here you go. Same kind of thing. Right. Yeah.
3: And um, a and hundred years ago, everyone in the country knew about him. Uh, his statue that's on the cover of the book uh, was the first statue that was installed in Bushnell Park in uh, Hartford. And uh, his statue is his monument in Brooklyn is one of the largest statu- equestrian statues around. He's actually buried in the base of it. Oh, incredible. He was buried originally in the graveyard, if one of those t- tablet stones. Uh, right. And uh, his site was so popular that uh, visitors kept chipping pieces off his tombstone. Wow. And so eventually it was no longer square. It was kind of oval, and it was removed. It's now in a case in the old state house and they um, replaced the, the tablet on top, but they moved his body to the base of the statue, the Eugia Christian statue in Brooklyn.
0: And, um, During that period, did you have any sense within Connecticut what the differences were among different parts of the state, politically, economically? Because people made their money in different ways. They, they raised their food in different ways. What was life back then in terms of social unity or folks feeling that we're part of a state as well as a new nation? Well, this part of the state
3: where Putnam was was primarily ag- agrarian. Right. You get down to the coast, you have all your shipping and trading, uh, people like Silas Dean who were involved in trade around the world. And um, yeah. the, the states themselves did have a very s- serious identity. You, you saw there was Massachusetts. Massachusetts was very different than Connecticut and New York. Oh, they were they were the Yorkers. They were, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. And um, Rhode Island and um,
0: it was much worse than like you know the Yankees and Red Sox. Oh, it's definitely much more serious.
3: So when they appen- appointed the major generals, they, uh, Washington was appointed first, and then Congress selected four major generals. At the time we went into Bunker Hill, there was no American army. That was part of the reason the whole battle was so confused. Yeah. Nobody knew who was in command or who could obey anyone. but they appointed uh, Lee from Virginia, um, Schuyler from New York, um, Ward from Massachusetts, and Putnam from Connecticut. You know, the four important states at the time right and uh, the armies of each of those uh, states were very colonies at the time were were all very different and didn't necessarily work together very well.
0: Did you have a sense that because of the economic, I know one thing that I had learned from history that due to the clear cutting of so much land due to farming, that there was a serious erosion problem. There was a lot of environmental damage. People didn't realize the consequence of massive large scale farming and the drainage. So as people learned, did you have a sense that Connecticut became smarter? Because I heard because so many trees were clear cut that they overseeded, that when they tried to compensate for the lack of trees, that's partly why we're one of the densest tree populations in the country.
3: Well, at the time Israel Putnam arrived, he, he arrived in like the 1740s, uh, that uh, Put, uh, Pomfret, and that whole area was really the frontier. He came; they came down from you know Salem, which had been settled fairly early on. But his uh, his parents were his grandparents actually were some of the earliest settlers in Massachusetts in the Salem area. So at that point, uh, there was no problem of <laughs> of erosion or whatnot. Everything the whole country was totally forested. And then, if you look at pictures from around the time of the Civil War, engravings from around the Time of the Civil War, you'll see, there's no trees. You'll see, there's the building standing there. There's the Mohegan Church, which is now surrounded by woods, uh, was just standing there by itself. There was nothing, nothing there. Right. And uh, right. Then they started doing tree plantations, and and yeah. so you have the had monoculture plantations for a while, but then the regular woods took over. And but at this, at his time, it was total wilderness, really, and marching up to. Boston, would he rode at the time of Lexington and Concord he was said to have left his plow standing in the field and as cincinnatus did way back when roman times
0: he left the motor running
3: <laughs> right hopped on his horse and, and rode to lexington and you know straight through in 24 hours and uh, but it was quite a trek in those days and when in the french and indian war when they were fighting that people the whole armies would
0: disappear into the woods and oh, no one yeah. would know where the heck they were And by the way, what are the rules of combat here, right? (laughs) What rules? Yay. By the way, I want to mention, if you're listening to us on the radio right now, we're speaking with Michael Westerfield, and he's recently published this new book, Israel Putnam, America's First Folk Hero. It's a biography and travel guide, and I wanted to ask you about the travel guide aspect and also how did you go through the process of self-publishing and trying to communicate Mm -hmm. through your own process, just how that works for you as a writer. Yeah, the travel guide is is one of the cool aspects
3: of this book. I like writing books that I'd like to read so that um, you have a biography, and he did lots of things in this area. His whole life was spent in this area, though, actually. He did indeed get to Cuba and and out to uh, Nashville, not Nashville, um, up the Mississippi River Mm -hmm. in South Florida. He was all around, but um, here... There are any number of sites that are of interest in his life. One of the most famous ones is the Wolf Den. Okay. That's one of the things that Israel Putnam is remembered for nowadays, the primary thing he's remembered for nowadays, is slaying the last wolf in Connecticut, right. in which he tracked the wolf down to its den. And the wolf den is still there out in, I guess it's located in Pomfret. His property went right to the line. That's Brooklyn and Pomfret. Uh, is right on that line. So, But... Uh, they tracked down the wolf to its wolf den, and there's this you know, rocky area, and it's a narrow, low den, which I crawled into to, to see how far I could go. But he apparently crawled into the wolf den with his musket and his torch, facing the wolf in there, and uh, wow. shot the wolf in its den. and um, Dragged it out. And then, still existing, is his major house out in, that he built out in... Um, Pomfret is still there, Brooklyn now uh, is still there. His his, um, side of his tavern, his brother's house, or his son's house is actually still there. Um, The church that he was involved in building is that big white church in uh, Brooklyn. And um, you can, glancing through the travel guide here, Wadsworth Athenaeum, that's built in the house of Daniel Wadsworth. that and was
0: one of the very first museums in the country. It right? was. One of the very, very first.
3: And uh, that's the site where Israel Putnam's career finally ended. He had a stroke as he was riding back to uh, to join the army. He came home to, wow. to visit for a while and was riding back and he had a stroke. And he was brought to the house of his friend Wadsworth, which is where the Wadsworth Athenaeum is now. The Oh, and one of his famous <laughs> exploits was that... Um, He was camped with a group of uh, traveling with a group of his soldiers in the vicinity of uh, Greenwich, and uh, they he was caught surrounded by the British, and uh, the he managed to get his men to disperse into the swamps, and then he was on horseback and he turned around and rode his horse down this huge steep slope, a set of like seventy rough-cut granite stairs in the hillside and uh, escaped the British that way. And the, the stairs are still there, and the tavern he was staying in is still there. It's a and
0: Hollywood moment there. Yes, huh? it
3: was, indeed. Yes. That's actually on the Greenwich Town Seal is a picture of him riding down the hillside. <laughs> and just glancing... Oh, here, the, there is Putnam Memorial State Park, which is the site of one of his encampments, his winter encampments, and... It's, a, it's actually a great site to visit because it's one of the few places where you can see the remains of all the cabins of the soldiers. There's a whole street mm-hmm. of uh, the, the remains of their fireplaces are there. And uh, there's, there's this a statue there of yeah. uh, his wild ride. Yeah. And all think through, about what
0: they had to do in the wintertime to endure Mm. So here's the question. With these incredible feats, these stories, how is it that these people fall away in history? Because there's more and more media. As they fade, there's more storytelling. There's more ways, right? But they still kind of fall from public view. Uh, People
3: who are remembered tend to be ones who had good, simple stories and catchphrases. Nathan Hale you know, doesn't, really doesn't hold a candle to Israel Putnam, but he had that great catchphrase, yes. and also he was a teacher, and so that's good for the school teachers, like uh, presenting him to their students. And but his his uh, boss, uh, Thomas Knowlton, who was the spy master, and also in the French and Indian War and whatnot, uh, and oh, the was a Charter Oak thing. Uh, no, no, it was different. It was right, different sorry, sorry, uh, but uh, you know, he did uh, he actually has a statue in Hartford as well, but he's not nearly as well known as the guy who worked for him and just went on one mission. And uh, and uh, with Israel Putnam, you know, the main story there that was is uh, Bunker Hill and his participation in the Battle of Bunker Hill. But that happened in Massachusetts, and Massachusetts, Massachusetts took control of the narrative. If you go to Bunker Hill, there's scarcely a mention. Of Israel Putnam there, despite the fact at the time he was recognized as being the commander of the forces there. Certainly, the British recognized him as being the commander, and but yeah. the the Massachusetts man was uh, Prescott, and in addition to being the the he fought valiantly. He was the one who defended the the main fortress there on Bunker Hill, but he happened to be. A politician after Bunker Hill, and his son was one of the leading politicians, and his grandson was the first modern historian. So, so he's, he got all the credit for Bunker Hill. Control the history, right? Right, Good exactly. Right. Although Putnam was probably the person who said, don't shoot till you see the whites of their
0: eyes. <laughs> now, the last thing, Michael, is how can people learn more? Is this part of a blog? How are you using the technology today? to either archive your work or share it in some way. I know you've done other projects, you've done some great work with the mills, but if people wanted to follow your work in history and local stuff, how's the best way to stay in touch? Books. Yeah.
3: I've been hanging on my wall a page of a book from 1543. It's still there. My floppy disks are worthless. But <laughs> Paper books will be here. This book will be here. So a copy of this book will surely be here. A great number of years from now. Yeah. And uh, I'm a Luddite when it comes to technology. I certainly use it in producing the yeah. books. and uh, but uh,
0: So I know these copies are at the Willie Food Co-op. They have a section there for local writers. Yes,
3: and they can get them at the Mill Museum. Right. And they're also on sale at the Willimantic Records. And as much as I'm not very fond of Amazon, you can get it on Amazon.
0: Right, right. Well, thank you very much. It's been great to have a conversation. And maybe... Uh, According to your schedule, when you're ready for a presentation to share the story at the mill or somewhere local, we'll have you back because these kind of stories, we can have some other stories, too. We didn't talk much about the poorhouse, but the idea of uh, tenants, unions coming back. Housing crisis, how do landlords do what they need to do when the, their tenants aren't in a position to pay rent? The whole formula is broken. Now. Right. So going into the poorhouse and that mentality of treating people like poorhouses, that's another story that we can come back to. Right. and I was
3: director of the Housing Authority for 20 years in town. Not to mention that. Yeah.
0: that That's really close to home for you, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So that'll be something we can pick up a gun in 24. Great. Great to be here. Good to be here, too, Michael. Yeah. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. So... The Willimantic Food Co-op. Okay, uh, just check it out. And I'm getting my cues. Our time is up for this week. If you want to get involved, we'll be very happy to have you in the studio. If you have announcements, just use the email, john at humanartsmedia.com. So thanks for staying with us this week. I'll see you next time. Take care.